My name is Yemi, and um, this is my husband, Dayo. And I'm really um, excited to be standing here to share the word of God with you. Um, today is the concluding part of our four-part series, The Happy Life. And isn't it wonderful that God didn't create us to be miserable? <laughs> I, I didn't, aren't you glad that um, God has made a way for us to live a happy life? And over the past three weeks, um, we, it has been clearly established that true and lasting happiness cannot be found in temporal things. It can only be found in something or someone that will last or will never fade away. And that person is God. And we've also been taught that there are two influences over our lives. God's word or the world. And there's no middle ground. We are either being actively influenced by one or we will be passively or actively influenced by the other. And we have also been told that we are in the world, but we are not of the world. However, our loving Heavenly Father has made a way for us in Christ to have all the resources we need to live a happy life. So therefore, knowing and living a happy life is actually possible. It's a real, it can be a reality in our lives. And today we are going to be looking at the fact that um, living in the reality of done, as opposed to doing, is essential to us knowing and living a happy life. And I just want to pray. Dear Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are a helper, you are a teacher. We need you. I need you. I pray, Lord, that you, would you come and open the eyes of our heart. Come and quicken the word of God. Come and make it come alive within us. Thank you that you're already here. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. I'm really busy. I saw this notebook just before Christmas and I had to buy it. I just had to buy it. And I didn't even know I was going to be speaking on this. Because it just made me smile. Is there anyone here that cannot identify with this statement? I don't think so. How many of us think that we don't have enough hours within the day to complete everything that we need to do? How many of us are to-do list people? Yeah? Write things down. I love writing lists. Every week I write it down and guess what? I transfer it to the next week. <laughs> because it never gets done. Even our children are busy. I look at some children's activities and I'm saying, my goodness, there's parties to go to, there's homework to complete, there's extracurricular activities, there's this game and that. I'm saying, oh my goodness, our children are busy. I walk in a pharmacy and um, I'm amazed. I just look at people. You can just people watch when you walk in a pharmacy. And people come to the counter, they're always in a hurry. Even first thing in the morning, I'm in a hurry. I've got to do this, I've got to do that. It's such a busy life. We live in a world of do, do, do. There's endless to-do lists with not enough time to get everything accomplished. And it's so easy to fall into the trappings of chasing life. And we miss the most beautiful and refreshing words of Jesus as he died on the cross and he said it is finished. And a huge step in us knowing happiness and joy that transcends our circumstances and to-do lists is to learn to live in the joy of the gospel of done. Allowing the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross to shape us and to become the defining factor of how we live and who we are. And this is where we can find true and lasting happiness. So life is busy. I'm not denying that. Living in itself is busy. There are different phases and seasons of life. Life brings legitimate demands on us and there are pressures we put on ourselves as well. We have various roles and responsibilities. There's family commitments, husband, children, immediate family, extended family. Some of us have to look after extended family. There's church commitments, join this community, come to this meeting. There's work commitments, 
There's leisure. Some of us love to leisure things. We just love to go to the gym. There's things we do for pleasure. There's an endless list of commitments. I uh, married to one man. And, I, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm there. Yeah, keeps me busy enough. And, I'm, and I've got three lovely daughters. Um, I'm involved in church commitments. A lot of them. I have meetings to attend, people to see. I work 39 hours a week as a pharmacist in a, in a busy community pharmacy. And juggling all these roles and responsibilities, it takes a lot of time and effort, and, it, and life can be busy. And I used to think when my children were little, oh yeah, when they become teenagers, oh, I'm going to have lots of time to do lots of things. Well, that's come and gone. Uh, when they become young adults, yeah, I'm going to have lots of time to do lots of things. And guess what? My life is still very busy. So I haven't experienced that lull of doing nothing yet. And as I was thinking about this, and I, I began to ask myself a question. Is there something wrong in being busy and working hard? Because I like to work hard. Is there something wrong with that? Are we saying that living in the reality of the gospel of dawn means we're just going to be lazy? We just float around the world, do nothing? Is that what we're saying? And I looked in the Bible and I looked at the life of Jesus. I look at the typical day in the life of Jesus. Rise up very early, meet up with his disciples, preaching, teaching, healing the sick, spending time with people, anyone that needed him who was there for them. The crowd always demanding his attention. And he was only on earth for 33 years, yet he accomplished so much. So he wasn't a lazy man. And Jesus said in John chapter 9 verse 4, he said, we must, do, we must walk the works of him who sent us while it is day, because night is coming when no one can work. And then I look at the life of Paul the Apostle. He single-handedly wrote most of the books in the New Testament. He wasn't a lazy man. And he testified in 1 Corinthians 15.10, he said, By the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of the other apostles, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. So I'm thinking, we're not talking about being lazy here. But what we are talking about, as I looked at the life of Paul and the Lord Jesus Christ, is that there was no striving in their life. Even though they worked hard, they weren't working hard to make a name for themselves. They weren't working hard because they weren't secure in their identity. They weren't working hard because they didn't know who they were. And that's the difference. It's, we can work hard, but what is the motivation behind our working hard? And that's the one we look at. What, what does it look like to live in the realm of doing? Doing, 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 doing. Going, 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 going. No, stop, no time to stop and rest. What does that look like? That is the way of the world. It's the way of our current culture. It's the way of striving, trying to find happiness and fulfillment through what we do. And there's this illusion in the world that I have to do, this, I have to do things or have things to make me happy. And if I don't have those things that I think I should have, then I need to keep on going. And keep on going and doing whatever it takes for me to get them and eventually I will be happy. The world thinks that the image, the identity and our significance and our worth all comes out from what we have. And so in order to maintain this um, status quo of this fake identity, we need to keep going to strive harder and harder and do more and more so that we can be better to maintain this status. So I say well, I'm going to work hard and accumulate a lot of wealth so that I can give my family the best things in life. A bigger house, a bigger car. I have to earn more money. I have to work hard so that I can 
get the latest gadget or the latest fashion trend so that I can keep up my appearance. And surely when I have all these things, I have this big car and this big house and these nice clothes and the latest iPhone 10 or whatever is out there. <laughs> surely my life would be impressive, wouldn't it? Surely people would look at me and they would say, wow, look at that person. I can have approval and affirmation for my friends and family and then I will be happy. But the sad thing is we know that this is false. Because somewhere along the line, these things never, they never get realized. There's always the next best thing. There's always something else that will come out. iPhone 11 would probably come out soon. Who knows? So there's always something else that's going to come out that's going to crush that dream of, oh yeah, I almost got there. I was almost happy. Oh. So striving to find happiness in temporal things outside of God who created us for his purpose and pleasure is actually a waste of time. And it's fruitless and it's striving and that's not what we're called to as children of God. Now let's look at what it looks like to live in the reality of dawn. When we find rest, when our life is free from striving, when we don't, we're not, our identity and our affirmation and approval is not about what we have. What does that look like? And before we can really understand what it looks like to live in the reality of dawn, we need to go back to the beginning. And we need to go back to the cross. When God made man in the beginning, God made man to have fellowship with him. And then Adam sinned. And because of that, God cursed man. And the Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So the Holy God, we are separated from the Holy God because of our sin. And we are hopeless and we are without God. However, God had a plan to redeem mankind through the cross. And that's where Jesus came in. So it's always good for us to remind ourselves about the cross. Because as Christians, we talk a lot about the cross over Easter. You know, we share Easter stories with our children in church. Um, but the thing is, the, the good news of the cross is the gospel. And the Bible says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the same power that saved us is the same power that transforms us. So we need the gospel. We need, we need to know what the gospel is, how it changes us, and how it transforms our life. So what happened at the cross? So I've got some scriptures. I don't know whether... Is it, are we on? Thank you. <laughs> so as we read this, um, there's three scriptures because that's going to come up. I'm just going to read through them, and I want you to allow the Holy Spirit to really let the word of this penetrate into our hearts as we think about what Jesus did for us on the cross of Calvary. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. That's 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. And we're going to read Romans 5, 6-9. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. 
and Hebrews 10, verse 12 to 14. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting for that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who have been sanctified. This is good news. This is good news. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Lord Jesus Christ left his throne in heaven. The one who knew no sin, he took on sinful nature. He lived a sinless life. He suffered humiliation at the hands of those he created. He humbled himself to death on the cross. He died. He was buried. He rose again from the dead. And he's now sat at the right hand of God the Father. And there was a beautiful exchange that happened at that cross. Jesus died in our place. Jesus took our place. And he gave us his perfection. That's what happened on the cross. He has forgiven our sins, past, present, and future. He has made us his children, adopted us into his family. He has given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, who gives us God's power and pours out God's love into our heart. He has set us free from sin and its curse. He has justified us, and now we have peace with God. God has freely given us this gift of salvation. It's a gift of grace. We don't deserve it. We can't even earn it, even if we tried. And because of this exchange, the Bible says that we are new creation in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. And because of this beautiful exchange, we are in Christ. The Bible says that we have died and our life is hidden in Christ in God. And what does that mean? It means my identity, my significance, my affirmation, my worth, my happiness, my joy, my peace, my security is wrapped in him. Why am I looking anywhere else? My searching is done. It is finished. It is done. The price has been paid. I don't know many of, many of us here will have sat one exam or the other. A-level GCSEs, driving test. I wouldn't ask how many times you did that. Can you imagine sitting your test and then you got back to your um, station and the instructor said, oh, well, well done, you've passed. Give you a certificate. And he said, actually, you know what? When I was doing that reverse around the corner, I, I made a mistake. So actually, I don't think I, I, need, I can earn this certificate. And it's, nobody does that. Because that would be crazy. You, even though you know you hit the curb, as soon as he hands that thing to you, grab it and you run out before he changes his mind. So now imagine if someone else, if it was legal for somebody else to do that test for you. If somebody else was allowed to sit that driving test for you, you didn't even have to sit that test. Somebody else sat it for you, but you get the certificate. That's what Jesus has done. He took the punishment that we deserved. The Bible says where we are the object of God's wrath. But Jesus took that wrath as he hung on that cross. The weight of every curse and everything was laid upon him. And he faced God's wrath and he went to hell on our behalf. Guess what? He didn't stay dead. He rose again. And now we are the object of God's affection and love. It's finished. It is so finished. Why search for happiness and joy somewhere else? 
We went to Belgium a few weeks ago, and Hannah and I, and James, we enjoyed a lovely waffle with Nutella ice cream melted on it. It was so nice. <laughs> um, so when, when we were coming home, I bought this uh, pack from the shop, and I um, thought it was going to, like, come close, but it was really disappointing. It didn't come, it didn't come close at all. <laughs> Big shock. And I said to Hannah, I said, that I bought some waffles, or I bought some home. I thought it was going to taste so good, but it didn't. And she said, well, that's, that, that's you know, that's, that's God speaking to, to us. Why go for the fake when you can have the real thing? Why are we looking for happiness and joy and love and acceptance and significance and worth and affirmation and freedom and security from somewhere else when the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has died on the cross, giving his life that we might enjoy it? So, so we, as children of God, we can live in the reality of done. Because Christ Jesus has paid the price. It is finished. And the Bible is clear about living any other way apart from the way of the gospel. In um, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 to 16, he says that, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, it's from the world. And those are the things we chase after, isn't it? The desire of the eyes, what, what the eyes can see. The pride of life, I want to be this, I want to be that. But the Bible says all those things are of the world, they are not from God. And in Romans chapter 12 verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, what is perfect and what is acceptable. So we know that we can live in the reality of done. But how do we do that? It's good, it's good for you to say, yeah, you can look at what Jesus has done. And um, yeah, we get excited in church. But how about tomorrow when I face work and I face all the things? What do I do then? How do I live? I think the first thing we need to do is to go back to basics. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to 7, the Bible says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abandoned in thanksgiving. So how did you receive Christ? For some of us, we might, might, maybe a few years ago, some of us longer, you have to think harder. How did you receive Christ? Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, one believes and is justified. And with the mouth, one confesses and is saved. So that's how we became Christians. And the Bible says, as you receive Christ Jesus, walk in him. In other words, we receive Christ Jesus by faith. Then we believed in our heart and we confessed with our mouth. So that's the same way we walk the Christian faith. You walk by faith. And how does faith come? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So hearing the gospel, hearing it, believing it in our heart, and confessing it with our mouth. So that when we face difficult situations that challenge, that want to challenge who we are, either our identity or our security, we confess with our mouth what the word of God has said because we believe in our heart, because we are feeding our, mouth, our, our minds Letting it be absorbed with the gospel. 
And I, I don't know, some of us, uh, we've been here for a while. James recommended a book uh, a few years ago called The Gospel Primer. I would really recommend you to get that book if you can. It's, it's The Gospel Primer and it's by Millicent Dixon. Milton Vincent, I don't know where I got that from. Um, but this book has just got small chunks of the gospel that you can rehearse and say to yourself every day, and it's so powerful. Um, so if you can do that, we can preach the gospel to ourselves regularly. The gospel is not just what we preach to non-Christians. It's something we preach to ourselves because it's the power of God to transform us. So that's a practical step to get hold of that book, um, get hold of it, and rehearse the gospel to ourselves. Remind yourself that you're already loved and accepted. So you don't have to go to work to seek love and acceptance from anyone. You're already secure. So it's, your job is not your security. So you have to re, we have to remind ourselves of all the things that Christ has made available to us. And that's how we live in the gospel of done. And also we need to check our heart regularly because the Bible says that the, the heart is deceitful above all things. The thing in the, in the physical, when you get to a certain age, you get a letter from your GP saying you need to come for a checkup. Why? Because you're growing older. They need to check that all your, your, your body is functioning properly still. So, so in the um, spiritual realm as well, the Bible says we should keep our heart with all vigilance. From out of it flows the issues of life. So we need to check our hearts whether we're still on course because it's so easy to get distracted. It's so easy to lose a perspective, to, allow, to get ourselves caught up in chasing life. And we need to allow the Holy Spirit to search our hearts and to help us to direct our hearts as we were taught a few weeks ago. We don't get hold of the truth of the word of God by not directing our hearts. We need to lay hold of the word of God, renew our minds like the Bible says, so that we can be transformed by the, by the gospel and we begin to believe it and act on it. And we also have a choice to make. Life is made of choices. And we are free-willed human beings. You live here tonight, nobody's going to come and ask you, have you done that? Or am I? <laughs> um, but we make choices. I love some people, of course. But um, yeah, making choices is part of, a free, part of life as free-willed human beings. We, some choices are massive, like who you marry. That's very important. And they have huge, huge consequences on our life. But some choices, they seem insignificant. But the truth of the matter is, the end result of our life is the result of all the choices we have made over time. So it's very important for us to make the right choices. The Bible tells us a story of two sisters in the Bible, Mary and Martha. Jesus went to visit them. Obviously, Jesus coming to your house. Are you not going to want to prepare food and get everything ready for Jesus? Jesus is coming. So there were two of them. Martha was, she said, wow, go get this food ready, get the kitchen ready, get the house ready, do all those things. And she was busy, but that, that wasn't wrong. It's not wrong to want to get the house ready for Jesus or prepare food for Jesus. There's nothing wrong with that. Well, Mary, on the other hand, chose to sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to him. But Martha wasn't happy with this. She was upset. And she said to Jesus, Jesus, tell Mary off. Tell her to come and help me in the kitchen. But what did Jesus say? Luke 10, verse 41, 42. The Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. There is a good portion to lay hold of. There is rest. The man in Psalm 1 made some choices. He made a choice not to walk in the counsel of the wicked. 
He made a choice not to stand in the way of sinners. He made a choice not to sit in the seat of scoffers. He made a choice to delight in the law of the Lord and to meditate on it day and night. We have choices to make on a daily basis. These choices shape who we are. We can make a choice to surrender and give control of our lives to Jesus. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you can make a choice today to surrender your life to Jesus. We have a choice to take Jesus at his word, to lay down all striving and come into rest. Matthew eleven twenty eight thirty 30 says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The burden we put on ourselves are heavy, but the burden Jesus gives us is light. So there's a call tonight to make a choice, to live in the reality of the gospel of dawn. There's a choice to keep the gospel alive in our hearts. There's a choice to remind ourselves of what Jesus has done by preaching to us, the gospel to ourselves consistently. There's a choice to believe that we are loved. There's a choice to believe that we are accepted and approved. That we are affirmed and that we are free to be who he has made us to be. We don't have to impress anybody. We can be ourselves. You have a choice not to live your life in isolation. Join a community. That is your choice. You have a choice to be accountable to somebody. Life is made up of choices. And as we conclude, I, um, I just want to say that we, getting a different result, you can't keep doing the same things. If you want change, you have to do some things differently. The Bible says we need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind so that we can discern what is the will of God, the good, the acceptable, and the perfect. So to take hold of this gospel of dawn, some things you probably need to do differently. And it will be different from each one of us, for each one of us. For some of us, it's a call to come and rest because we have been striving. There's a call to come and live a full and abundant life in the reality of what Jesus Christ has done. For some of us, it's a call to diligence to stay in that rest because we are easily distracted and sidetracked. And from, for some of us, it's a call to take God's word and to start to renew our mind. Finally, as I round up, there's this scripture that... Um, as I was just praying about tonight, the Holy Spirit just reminded me about a scripture in Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 1 to 6. And it, it reads, it says, The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his will. And the vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to do. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. And that's the word of the Lord to us this evening. We are clay in the hands of the potter. God is the potter. He's the one who made us for his purpose and for his pleasure. And he wants to mold us and shape us into what he wants us to be. And sometimes uh, it says there that the, the clay got spoiled in the potter's hand. What did the potter do? He just mashed it up again and, 
and he had to redo it. And that's what God, God does with us sometimes. We go through different circumstances in life. God is shaping us, molding us, and making us what he wants us to do, to be. So to find our real purpose in him, it's about living, knowing that it is finished. Knowing Christ has paid the ultimate price. That he has our lives in his, in his hands. And he's a good God. He's singing about the goodness of God during worship. He's a good father. He's the God who has our best interests at heart. He's the one that has already made a way for us to live a happy life. So any other distractions that we face, we need to align it back into God's purpose. So we're going to respond to God. Um, and there's two, two, two categories of people. The Bible says, all taste and see that the Lord is good. Like that waffle I was telling you about, you can never know what it tastes like. Only Hannah and I can know what, and James, can know what it tastes like. So you as well, if you're here, you've never tasted of the gospel. You've never given your life to Jesus Christ. You can understand what we're trying to say about the fact that God is good. The fact that we don't have to strive. The fact that it is finished. You can't really understand that. So the first step is to come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Come and give your life to Jesus and let him start to shape your life. And then the second category of people is some of us need to change the perspective of the way we are living. There's been a lot of striving, a lot of trying to achieve things in our own strength. But there's a call tonight to lay everything down. Come to me, all you labor. What burden are you carrying? What are you striving for? What is shaping you like that? clay in the hand of the pot. Is it God that's shaping you? Is it the culture around you that's shaping you? What are you allowing to shape you? So as we come to God now, let us come and say, God, forgive me when I've allowed other things to crowd my heart and I've allowed myself not to live in the reality of what you have done for me on the cross. But now I come to you and I just say, can you come and help me so that I can live in the reality of what you have done for me on the cross of Calvary? Thank you, Lord.